You've found it, and we are ready to rise with you. Rise with Sid McNary. This podcast is an extension of the Art of Peaceful Living movement. Get ready to enjoy, be empowered, and elevate your life as we rise together. Grab your beverage of choice. No matter where you are, the time is now. Here he is, your leader for a better today. Rise with Sid McNary. It's time we start living your dream. Sid, glad to have you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Pam, wonderful to have you as well. Um, we all know why we're here today, and that's to share this space with Sid and um, give us an opportunity to dig deeper into his heart and mind and, and find out more about him and um, just let that come forward. So without further ado, Sid, I'm going to hand it over to you, and um floor is yours, brother. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, everybody that's here and everybody that's continuing to come and welcome to we all where we all rise with Sid McNary. We're going to repost this as a podcast and continue to grow the podcast as well as start this platform on live stream so that people can see it as uh, we grow this off of YouTube and all the different ways. And and this is a long game. And, and I know that many people are moving around for the 4th of July that's on its way. And so grateful for you all to take the time to, to come in. You know, the next one will be August 1st with uh, Dr. Lauren Michael Harris will be running that one and grateful for parent Pam to run this one out of New York today. And, and we'll just continue to grow this. And it's, it's the long game for me, you know, uh, Jason talked about it in, in his clubhouse room today that this this one is about patience. And for me, I've been somebody that goes and commits to things and gets them done in a hurry. And this is something that is challenging me to say, okay, I'm playing this all the way out to 2028 and making sure that people are educated along the way and, and developing around all the things. and. So it's especially early on, it's about getting to know me as a leader and and what I vi- vision for the country and, and how we can all come together and, and truly bring peace forward. And I know a lot of times people, when they, they hear someone talk about peace, the first thing that flashes through their head is, is the 1960s and the flower children debating on war and all those things. And peace for me is, is a foundation to bring love forward for everyone. And that can look in many different ways. There'll be times that you may see my my coach side of me and the and the warrior side come forward, and I'm at peace with that. Yet that is the access point to love in a strong way that stands for everything. And Pam, I'm gonna pass it to you to generate this conversation and about midway through we'll open it up for for questions. Thank you. Thank you, Sid. Thank you so much for both the privilege and the responsibility to be a part of your town hall. Um, For those who uh, don't know, I met Sid for the first time in January of 2022 in a leadership community. And as I usually do, I sat back and observed for a while. And some things became clear to me very quickly about Sid. And that is that he was tough. He was fair. And he demanded respect and he brought respect. 
And he does that wherever he goes. And the inclusiveness and unity that he carries forward is something I've been able to experience since that, since that first meeting with him. And all of that really did align with me because I am a strong believer that business as usual just isn't going to cut it anymore. And that goes for politics, our business, our education system, and more. So in all the in all the roles that I've led in my life in leadership and entrepreneurship and advocacy, the one that brings me here today is the most important has been my role as a mother, mom, parent, because my passion for our kids' future um, runs very, very deep. You know, this, I'm at a point in my life where I could be retiring, our parents and grandparents retired at this phase of their life. That is not at all in the cards for me because I am not willing to leave this world the way it looks right now for our kids. We have a lot of work to do. And looking at somebody like Sid to do that work just lights me up. So, you know, I spent four decades in politics and the time that I was there, it was bipartisan, it was collaborative, and it was solution oriented. And I know that today here with Sid, that we are gonna be looking for those, his take on those solutions for a lot of big problems and just getting to know who he is. So we know what our leader will look like. And um, it's not just for us either, it's for the next seven generations. And there's something that comes from a young poet called Amanda Gorman said that I wanted to just share um, a passage from her poem, The Hill We Climb, and then get started with questions. But she wrote, we will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain, if we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So I just wanted to share that. And if you are ready, I will, I have a couple questions prepared. And, um, you know, some of them, I looked at these questions and I'm like, out of 10 questions, they're all so important. There's no particular order. But the first one I would like to bring to you to you is something that you actually asked your leadership group recently. And it really hits with, you know, we can't, business as usual just isn't gonna cut it. And it's a way for me to see how you differentiate yourself from the politics that's out there today. And the question right back at you is, what does it mean to you to be in politics? Well, it's interesting you ask that because most people would say, I haven't been in politics, you know, looking at my background from coaching to yoga to traveling the world as a speaker and an author and politics are happening every day. You know, it it is definitely a political world to be in football, especially on the level that I coach. I mean, you can watch you know, you'll find a president at a national championship for football or the NFL championship or Major League Baseball or the NBA championship, all these different things. Politics is very, very much within sports. You've got to stand in that. So when I look at politics, there's a way that those who are in charge are actually moving. That's politics. Am I a politician? No. If you were to look at politicians as the people sitting on the hill or the ones running states or counties or those types of things. And, and I, Yet I've been in politics where you have to play the dance or play in the game to move things ahead. You know, we are in this space where we've got many people here from different walks of life. We have someone 
here as far as Scotland. It is political in the sense that we are seeing how we vibe together and how we can move forward. So politics have always been part of my life, especially growing up in the D.C. area. You don't move around D.C. without being somewhere influenced by politics. You go down to the Washington Monument and, and to the White House. I, it was definitely political for me to reach to the White House and teach yoga for three years. Those things don't just happen unless you're moving in that. I, and I learned that when I was teaching yoga at the White House and 36,000 people. Now, it's supposed to be a lottery. And within that lottery of how people get to the Easter egg roll that was put on by many presidents, I saw three people from my high school. You think that's a lottery pick? <laughs> if you think that's a lottery pick, then I got something new for you that I can sell you, a pot of, pot of gold that, that actually is gold-plated. You know, that's, it's really important for us to begin to see that politics are happening all the time and we all can engage in them and move things forward in a different way. Thank you. And that really speaks to leadership overall and the kind of leaders that we're looking for. What are some unique things from your experience? You've, you've been an entrepreneur too. You've been, you know, the, in the coaching, you've been so many things in your life and like what comes forward for you is like, these are the first, the top things that I can bring to leadership in this country in order to make it a better world for our kids. Well, first and foremost, that it's who before what. And when I say who before what, and I think of a, a friend of ours, you know, mutual acquaintance of ours that, that talks about who before what. And it, it was great to get to hear him talk about that and really implement that into my own leadership style. Because I, I flash back to when I was interviewed at 24 to become a coach at Northern Illinois University. And when Joe was done asking me questions and verifying the testimonials and the references that people had given for me, at the end, I was like, would you mind if I get on the board and show you what I know as a coach, X's and O's and all those things that, that a football coach knows. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I needed to make sure that you were as good a person as they said you were. And that to me is the number one thing about a leader to lead, especially in the name of being the president of the United States. It has to be somebody that we first can look at and say, I want my child to be like that. That's something that people can grow into. So that's number one for me. Who before what? Now, in the name of Sid McNary for president, do I know how to run all the economics of the country? No. Do I know how to run all the military things of the country? No. What I do know is I can go surround myself with those people that are good, solid people that we can all look up to and say, okay, this person can go do that. So to me, that position of president, first and foremost, says, I know how to evaluate people and put them in position to make this country outstanding in every way. You know, that we all stand, united we stand, and I don't even need to complete that sentence anymore. It's time for us to just get that we have to come together. That's first and foremost as a leader. The other thing that I, I really feel is important is someone's thought pattern after that. 
what what are they looking at? If somebody's constantly going into all the things that have been bad without seeing where we're going, we will continue to repeat what we've already been into. And that that's important too. There's somebody that as I build this cabinet and build these people around, people that see that we have a better future ahead. We have to have that. We have to have that level of hope, that level of conviction that says, I'm going to go make sure it happens. So I want to see people's track record. You can go back and look as far back as you want. I've been speaking and teaching peace as long as I can remember. And yet I haven't been so naive to think that we have to do anything other than make sure that we're stepping in that direction. And it isn't always going to look easy to everybody involved. That's for sure. Peace is an inside job. Yes, thank you so much for that. And with the mention of hope, I want to move to a voting question. And, you know, for me, I've seen voting as a fabric of our democracy and a foundation of our democracy for, for my whole life. And it's a privilege and a responsibility. Yet there are so many people out there now that feel disenfranchised or um, they feel it's inaccessible or Worse, they feel like their vote does not matter. And so what would you do or what will you do? What are you doing to help these voters understand that their vote, every single one of them, really does matter? Well, here, here's an interesting thing that most people don't know. When I was in college and it was the first, yeah, first time that I was going to vote, Bill Clinton, I think it was Bill Clinton. And what happened was, I mean, I was young. No one really educated me on the importance of voting. So I think I got like four or 500 votes from my friends in college because they wrote my name in. You know, that was because I, no one had taught me what it looked like. And we were like, oh, we don't want any of these people. So who are we going to vote for? And everyone said on campus at Purdue University, hey, we'll vote for Sid. So they wrote my name in. Now, I think what, and I, and I kind of joke, laugh about that because if I just look through my life, I can see a lot of solutions that would eliminate where we are right now. And the first thing that comes up for me, which is one of my biggest things to stand on as running for president, is educating people. Educating people that if we don't like the way things are going, one of the things we have here is to vote and move people out. Like we, the people have to be willing to say it's time to take responsibility for where our country is going. If we don't like it, the power we have as people is to vote. The power we have as consumers is don't consume the things that we know aren't moving us in the direction we want to go. If we know like there's a, a product that recently, oh, here it is. I've been saying this for years. Most people know that I've I've lived around. I'm in the I'm in the sun a lot. I haven't for years used sunblock. I used to put it on my nose when I was coaching football. That was the only place I put it. But for some reason, my nose would always get burnt. But I would put sunblock on my nose, and I I was smart enough to realize, wait a minute, my face isn't getting burnt. I'm not putting sunblock on it. My nose is. Let me stop using sunblock. Let me see what that does. Then when I traveled to Italy, I learned that they 
ate so much olive oil and actually put olive oil on their skin to protect it from the sun. So I started shifting that way. Now I only use oil. That's there's, there's things a plus B equals C over and over. That's a plus B equals C people that use sunblock often are getting cancer. So me as a consumer, I'd even tell my friends, no, no, I don't have sunblock. What you thought I was going to bring it. You got the wrong person. I'm not providing your cancer. That's how things can be done as a consumer. I now know. Now, here's fast forward to this moment. What do you think most people are doing with sunblock now? They're making it from minerals and zinc because they know that people now know what's happening. They are shifting their sunblock to the, to the betterment for people. All things can be done that way. If I demand that as a consumer, then the world starts to shape differently. These things aren't, we're not looking at rocket scientists. Rocket science. We always said that in coaching football. Coaching football is not rocket science, but you you better know how to coach. You better know how to lead. You better get people to move in the direction that you want or you get fired. The same thing for me when it comes to this job, it's no different. I either can do the job and move people forward. And if we're moving backwards, we need to get other people in those seats. All right. Thank you so much for that. Um, my next question um, goes kind of right to the heart of, all, I think, all of us to, as a parent. And it's a big question I have coming from the role of family and community around gun violence prevention and guns. And, you know, the story for me is a thing that, that what I've experienced is that when I, my kids are now 24 and 28, but I used to be able to take them to school and drop them off and not think twice that at the end of the day, I would be there to pick, I would, they'd be there for me to pick them up. And I started to get shaken off my core a little bit after 9-11 in terms of their safety, but nothing like what has happened in terms of school shootings and guns in our schools. And so, you know, what I'm looking for here is a sense of safety. And, you know, we used to have fire drills and now they have active shooter drills. And there's just so much fear going into this place in our lives, our kids and going to school and the things that that we're preparing for, things we're preparing for that we might get shot or they might get shot or get hurt. And so please, um, how do we move forward to bring that sense of safety back in regards to, you know, addressing gun violence prevention or other or other names that it might be given. Thank you. And thank you for being a caring parent. And, and I can see your, your remorse and hurt and sadness around that. And, and I, I get that, especially for most people in this country, anyone that has experienced anything around gun violence, I am sure that there is a lot of pain around that. Now, my first thing when I look at this and and uh, and I, you know, the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. When I look at the Second Amendment, as long as we have a world where some people have guns, then all people need to have access to them when they have proven to be somebody that can responsibly handle to bear arms. 
And I say that because if not, the few people that have arms would control everybody else. That's why we are at the top of the food chain as humans versus the lion that none of us could be without that gun. That's that's just facts. Okay, so now let's let's sweep that off the table because we have to be able to do that from my from where I stand. The second part is, and we could we could figure out who the different lions are in the world, right? From the the criminal to the crooked people on running things, all the different people that have guns and others don't, those people that are good people are controlled and and unable to be free in their own homes. That's not okay. The second part to that would look like, okay, what's happening in schools versus the way schools were when I was a kid? Now, did we have shootings in our school? Yeah, I remember a kid came in, he didn't like his grade from his teacher. I was in eighth grade, he shot his teacher. Fortunately, he didn't shoot anybody else. I, that was between him and his teacher. I don't know what, what that was, but it wasn't, it wasn't good for him or the teacher. So there's that, really looking at, all right, why are guns happening in schools? There's a dad program where the dads are now active in schools. There aren't any, there aren't any problems. So when I look at it as a parent, and I was that parent that went to school often, to be around my kid at school, make sure that the other kids felt safe too, that they knew somebody was looking over them regardless. And that, there were a lot of kids that that played because I, I went and volunteered to be uh, the offensive coordinator when my, my one son was in school. And I, I looked at the kids that were the ones that were struggling and took them under my wing. I think that's a big part of it. We all can step up in some way for every problem on in our country. And part of that looks like if you've got a child in school, spend more time going to the school, getting to know the other children. They say it takes a, a tribe to raise a chief. And I promise you, most chiefs aren't the ones that are just docile. So they just aren't kids that are picking up guns and willing to say this ain't right and go shoot somebody, they ultimately haven't been guided in a direction that has them stand differently. So I, that's that's the first thing. I, I'd want to implement possibilities for people to learn how to be together again, to bring communities together, to bring parents together, to create moments where people are just gathering for the goodness of all of us. And that, that, that comes down to all of us. We, we all have to do better in that sense. It isn't the gun that, that shoots a child. It isn't. It isn't. The, it's not the gun. It's the people that pull it. Without the people losing their mind, so that means mental wellness, without the people doing those things, the gun's fine. No gun sitting on a shelf has done a thing. That's what I, I would start there with, making sure that we all step up where we are to create a different different outcome. All right. Thank you. And, you know, as I hear you talk about that, it sounds like a mentoring program and building community, which is something that I've known you to do very well. And because not every parent, you and I was the same as you. I could be present for my children. There are a lot of parents don't have the time or the access to be able to do that. So I, I love the idea of mentoring and bringing communities together again at that level. 
So thank you for that answer. Um, it, it leads me into another question, and it's it's around mental health. And you know, there's over the past decade, I raised um, a millennial and a Gen Zer, and it was a decade where everything was changing. Our economy was changing. You know, the 20th century education that my son received was not aligning with the 21st century workforce that was out there. And I was watching workforce issues. And in about 2016 or so, I started to notice that anxiety was showing up in the workforce and recognizing it was the tip of the iceberg. Then it showed up in my front door with my daughter. And so I went through years of learning about this and connecting and and helping to create a way forward for for her, for her friends, for a combination of parents, teachers, and students, you know, and coming together. But what I really see in what's happening with the mental health crisis is that if we don't address it first, then our overall economy is going to continue to suffer. And it's like our attentiveness to the mental health crisis will determine our economic outcomes as, as families, as students, and as workers, and as companies. So it's a huge thing that's out there. And I'll just leave that open for you to talk to from whatever perspective you want in terms of how we how we continue to get to the core of addressing the mental health issues. Thank you. Well, it's interesting to me when I look at my own personal family first with mental health. When we take this space of everyone's hurting, everyone's sick. I haven't watched that birth, everyone's better. I, for me, I feel like mental health starts with seeing people as healthy and moving accordingly, which then looks like if I see someone who is down, I can go help them. If I, before ever seeing anyone, in order for me to be a healer, like I label myself a healer, there has to be people sick for me to even have a job. Now, if I can see it, mental health stemming from our healthcare system, which is sick care, it isn't healthcare, it's sick care. And because we are working with sick care, we keep creating sickness in new ways that we have to fix because healthcare, sick care is where money resides. You can charge people for that. By creating a new look in our healthcare system, we will also create a new space for people to have mental health. And what that looks like to me is beginning to shift in a way getting to some standpoint where you pay because you're healthy. And when you're sick, we take care of you. Like everybody puts in this pot. This was something we talked about when I was in college, that if we found a hundred people and each one put in, we said a thousand dollars, a hundred people, it's $10,000 or a hundred thousand dollars. And so we start out with that. Now we got a pot. Yeah, we only put you in that pot because we knew you were healthy, because we knew how you moved. Then if everybody stayed healthy and we kept adding $100, $100 every month, 
Now we're, we're just building. And then we said, okay, we'll take that as our insurance company. And we go build other ways to make sure that everyone stays healthy. We go put up yoga studios. We go put up meditation facilities. We go put up places where you can be taught how to grow your food. Right now we are creating sickness. There is a way to create health. And it's time that we start paying attention to that. That, that where we put our focus, it will grow. If we put our focus on sickness, mental health, they aren't talking about mental health. They're actually talking about mental sickness over and over and over again, as opposed to teaching people how to be well. The more we teach people how to be well, we will see wellness and then we'll have something else to look at and continue to build from there. So for me, when it comes to mental wellness, We've got to talk about how to keep each person well. Thank you so much. Um, is there time for another question, Ryan? Yes, okay. Um, this is this question comes right to the heart of me being a woman, my reproductive rights, my health, my own body. And I'm putting it in those terms instead of all the terms everybody's putting out there because um, I was born and grew up I was born in 61 and all the years I was growing up, I was, I was experiencing more freedoms and more diversity and more inclusion. And all of a sudden I'm living in this world where the things that I'm not going to say I took it for granted. I think it was my right to have the freedom to decide what to do with my own body and determine my own health. But now my daughter may not have that right. And my son and his relationships may not have that, that partnership. So I put this to you as a question about abortion, but I think it's bigger than that. I think it's a big healthcare issue. Um, and I think it's a freedom issue. So. Yes, I'll, I'll answer it this way. The freedom to choose is God given. You can, you can walk, you can walk out of your house when you want to, you put on the clothes when you, what you want, you walk out and you wear it. You get to choose, for the most part, where you live. You get to choose many things. Those are God. That's God given. the The thought that people think they should govern God's laws that's not okay for me. That doesn't fit. Not at all. You know, nobody gets to tell me how to be happy. Now, with that being said, there are things that I would look at when it comes to God and the, the right to choose. And, you know, this may seem tricky for some people's minds. 21 weeks is the earliest on its own that a fetus can survive. So that's God. A woman has the right to choose their body and what they do with that. That's just I don't I don't I don't I don't have a need to play God in that way. Some people do. I have not, no desire to argue over people's opinions. That's how wars are begun. For me, women have the right to choose just as anyone else. It End of story. It, it's a short conversation for me on that. Because no one will tell my daughter what she has to do or they'll deal with me. That's what I know. I've been that way all the time. No one will tell my wife. No one will tell my friends. No, no, that's you. As long as 
you are doing no harm to some living being. Again, I go with 21 weeks. If we don't have another way to figure it out, the God already figured it out. That's where I would start. Everyone has the right to choose. All right. Thank you, Sid, for, for this conversation. Um, I haven't had a chance to catch up with you on these things in months, so I'm really grateful for this. And with that, I will turn it over to Ryan. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Pam. So we're a little over half past the hour. So what we'll do at this point is uh, give everybody in the audience a chance to come forward, ask questions, share comments. Um, you can direct your comments and questions to Pam and Sid or to one or the other. Totally up to you. But if anybody has anything they want to bring forward, by all means, uh, raise your hand and I'll bring you on up. And we can also allow people to write questions in the in the chat. Um, that can work as well. And thank you all. I'll say thank you as we wait for anyone to have a question. Thank you for thank you, Pam, for for those questions and and bringing that forward. All the different things because it really, you know, I come in. Yes, I've thought about many of these things you've asked asked me about. Yet I come in unscripted and here just to to give people an opportunity to really connect on who I am as a person. Honestly, we could throw teleprompters out of this whole thing called elections. We need to know who the people are. And if they aren't willing to stand up, this is kind of where I come from. But, you know, I'm playing Sid's game. When I coach football, I coach my players to play to the best of their ability. And you're going to have to stop us. So for me, that's part of this. It's like, okay. If I go out and I'm without a teleprompter, let's see who else dares to do that. If I go out and I say who's backing me, who, and if if I, if need be, I'll wear it around like NASCAR, and I want to see who's backing these other people. When it comes to saying that I stand for the people, that's why I'm running as an independent, because I'm not standing for half the people as red or blue. I'm standing right here in the middle in red, white, and blue. I'm going to stand right here for this flag that we call the United States of America. And it's time that someone puts that out and demands that of everybody else. And I'm calling them my peers. They're not, I'm not, I, I've never been that person to stand behind other people. I'll walk shoulder to shoulder with you if you're worth it. Otherwise I'm going to get in front. Jason, I know you on mic. What you got, bro. Um, I just had a question for you. You know, the, the question I think Pam asked it like right in the beginning was around the idea of politics and being a politician. And, you know, when you go through the laws and the, and the, the, the documents that, that formed the, the founding documents of this country and, and have evolved over time as we've addressed different issues that come to the, come to the forefront, nowhere in there is there a demand on a politician there is no executive orders that have written that are written with the politician with a politics or politicians um rules and standards uh but there are in in almost all of the documents standards governing the behavior of a public servant and and how i see your campaign and how i what the what the challenge is and what's happening in the country on both sides of the equation why i support you as a, as an independent is because we've forgotten we've we've abdicated public service to 
um, to being politicians. And the way that I look at politics and politicians, both, like you said, you gave a great example of football. Same thing could be in business. Same thing could be in any, you know, in your, in your local neighborhood, right? There's politics involved. And what politics is to me is that it's manipulation to gain leverage and power by disadvantaging your rival. Public service is to serve everyone, right? It's to raise the bar for everybody in this country. And I would like to know your, uh, you know, a couple of ideas that you have that would bring public service back into, because I think it, yeah, as you know, my opinion is that, that you can overwhelm a negative by a lot of positive. So what, what are some ideas that you might have or bring to the table around bringing public service back into the dirty world of politics? Well, I love the idea and it is an idea right now that we can have everybody in a home. And the reason why I love that idea is when I, when I was coaching football, we created camps for kids. And we said, and these were kids that were in the juvenile detention centers that would come. And, and then they'd be next to my kid, right? So I'm now I got to watch them and I got to make sure everybody's getting along and everything's okay. Because my kids were tiny and they were a little older. And they were. It was amazing to have these kids come off of these buses where they were in the bus. You would have been, I was like, man, I don't know if we should let these kids off the bus because <laughs> they're about to be with my kids. And then when they would line up and anyone that knows me, I step in strong first and then I can relax because you know where I'll go. Right. So I stepped in strong and, and to be with these kids. And, and we used to always say, if we don't help them now, they'll be the ones sticking us up at the ATM. Just that simple. People that need to find a way to survive, they will find a way to survive. So now I can, we can do better in all ways. And one I'll say that I'm really looking forward to bringing forward is service for all people, which means creating the means for everyone to be housed in this country. There's no reason for that. Everyone to be housed. Now, that means that everyone has to do their part. To the best of their ability, if somebody can go to a trash can and pick up trash and take it out, we can have those people helping clean up and now house them based on that and help them get on their feet. We can build ways for people to be sustainable in their own way. That's one. The other one, I'll continue to go back to being a public figure and going back and taking care of of kids mentoring people that that may not have the advantages that that I had. I mean, I, I I'm very fortunate. My my parents made sure we were spread four and a half years apart. Me, my sister, and my brother, and everybody was going to go to college. You got an extra half a year, and you better be done and out. It was just the way it was. Not everybody gets that, and and because of that, me sitting here in in the place that I am. It's my responsibility to give back. It says in the Bible, and I'm not a Bible person. I just grew up in a house where the Bible was the Bible. <laughs> and those that are given much, much is expected. Well, when are we going to start expecting that of our politicians, of our, of our people that, you know, our athletes, which they are, they're doing much more than uh, on the whole. I would say they're probably doing more than most politicians. 
those that are given much, much is expected. We can all figure out how to give back when we've been given so much. Awesome. Thank you for that. Anyone else? And welcome, Scott. Not exactly sure which Scott. Dr. Lawrence, go for it. Lauren. Yeah, there we are. All right. I think I was going to bring this up, but I'm going to. Um, so I was asking my husband just now when he goes upstairs, he went upstairs. I said, should I bring this up? He goes, absolutely. You know, this was a big week in our lives um, for a couple of reasons. You know, the I don't want to talk about I'm not I, I'm OK. I don't want to talk about the uh, I'm talking about the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, um, the main thing that really just floored me this week was the thing about uh, the law about creatives now being able to say to a person like me, who's LGBT, um, you're a photographer. Oh, I want you for my engagement photos or my anniversary photos or I adopt children, which I can do. And I want pictures and they can say no because of their religion. And I thought that, that was the reason we had separation of church and state. And to me, it's like, okay, we're going backwards, you know. And and I, I'll never forget the day the road versus we uh, Wade uh, reversal. That's the first thing my husband said. And he's 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 a PhD a therapist, and he said, "This is the beginning. We're going to go backwards. We're next." That was the very first thing he said. We're next, and. You know, I experienced it. Um, it wasn't in a creative sense, but it was in a sense where, and you know, a couple of you here know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to go into the details, but I, I had not, I don't think I'd ever experienced it like I just recently did where, you know, people, everybody was, oh, come on, come on, everybody here. It's, you know, and it was a church related thing. And I'm not even that person. I'm spiritual. I started from that springboard, but I took the collar of organized religion from around my spirit. But, and I couldn't understand why at the time I was being told, ask for this. Like everyone else is being asked if they want it. Say you want it. I said, but I really don't. Just say it. And I did. And the religious person said, no, you're not allowed. I can't do this for you because you're LGBT. And it's, it's, so what do you think about what just happened this week? That's really, I mean, because that's just the starting point. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's going to go unless it stopped. It's going to go backwards. Now I'm going to address it in this way, knowing that I, need to spend more time on this on this uh topic before i go too far in that rabbit hole and have to stop digging to get out of the hole right that i may have started and with that being said my first thing is that that everyone has the first amendment freedom of speech free press freedom of religion how someone moves in their religion. What happened to you, for me, unexcusable. 
until that person wants to be excused, then the way my brother Jesus taught, I have to forgive them and move forward. Yet if someone isn't seeing that they need to be forgiven, there's nothing for me to forgive except for to let it go so that it doesn't become my thing. Which means in this one box, someone could express the religion in a way that doesn't stand for everyone. In this other box, someone could express a religion that stands for each and every person under love and peace and joy and freedom to its entirety. That's how it seems to be for me. Yet I can't say that I want someone to have freedom of religion and then take away how one person expresses it because another doesn't like that. As long as they are not bringing harm to the other people, that's that's how I'd have to move in the seat of the office that I'm pursuing because I'm standing for everyone. So I don't get to choose my judgment on how someone moves that is different just because it's different than what I think. If I stand for everybody, I will say that from my perspective of how my brother came, everybody deserves love. Everybody deserves God's love. It's agape love. And if anyone for me is preaching anything other than that, I won't be there. I go back to what I talked about earlier. I will follow those that are worthy to be followed. That's a leader. If they are leading people in a way that doesn't support all to the highest good of all, then I won't be there. And that that that's what it comes down to. It. It's kind of simple and different. And at the same time, if someone in the midst of the next time I get to have that conversation with someone that has moved in that way, I would hope to educate them that helps them see that they can live in a different way too. And that, that's how I'd have to answer that right now. Awesome. Peace to you too. And welcome, Lexi. Uh, glad you made it in. Does anyone else have a question? I'll, uh, I'll ask one more question. Um, and, and just to get your, your take, I think, again, this is my opinion, which is formulating the question, but I see uh, a society that has, that has made it okay to make problems somebody else's. In other words, how somebody else acts, um, then determines my, um, my reaction. And, and I and I look at a world that is not taking personal responsibility versus a world that does take personal responsibility. And, and I, and it, and it becomes down to the culture, right? It's the leadership. You and I have had multiple conversations, you know, in private about this is that, is that the, where there's lack of leadership, there's, there's really nobody to follow. And so weakness sort of fills the gap. What are what are some things that you would do to promote um, personal responsibility seeping back into our culture? Again, I go back to education on helping people realize what 
full on power within yourself looks like within myself. Full on power means that I have to take accountability for everything that happens in my life. When it comes to back when I was younger, I dealt with a lot of racist people from coaches to people on the street for I pledged an all white fraternity at Purdue university to be the first person to integrate the school in the fraternity system, even with my father and my, and my uncle being in black fraternities, I took that on and said, okay, I'm going to be that person that creates interracial relationships on all levels. That was my responsibility. Now that also looked like, okay, well you step in. Now I have to hold myself accountable for why I dealt with 300 people in a yard carrying torches, wanting to make sure I didn't become a Delta Tau Delta fraternity member. I did that anyway. And fortunately, the nine guys that made it through with me said, nah, this is this is all of us. This is us. Nobody gets to tell us how we're going to be. And we're still tight to this day. And with that being said, personal responsibility is how you pull the power back into oneself. And that that's so important for us to get to that education of people knowing what's going on, what's possible, how do we move? And that that's really what it comes down to is we can't demand that anyone takes personal responsibility. Not especially if they're not violating a law. Yet if they know the power of that, they'll take personal responsibility because now all of a sudden they are creating the life that they want to live. And that that's how I'd go at that. I mean, it, it keeps coming back. You know, I've helped many people be empowered to live a better life, a better quality of life. I know you have in, in how you've helped people create businesses. The more responsibility I take for my own life, the more freedom and peace and joy I've had because I've taken that responsibility. I'm willing to take responsibility for this country because I've taken responsibility for how I've allowed it to, to get here. I've participated in that. When I when maybe I didn't vote, which I've voted every time since the first time, but the first time could have been the reason why we are here now. <laughs> like if I had voted the first time, this might be a whole different story. So I'm taking responsibility and I'm saying I'm gonna step into something new to help everybody move forward. I appreciate that question. Love that. Right, if you Thank could, you. you could read that. Jason, if you have more to say, go for it. Nope. Just want to say thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. I'll go ahead and read that. We've got a uh, question from Aaron. I'll go ahead and read this to you. When I look, when I look at shortfalls as a society, I see a lack of valuing life, human life. If there was a universal value, of each and every life, near and far, wellness would shift, mental and physical. The need for guns and the violence that comes forward with guns would shift. What practices could be implemented as a society to release the devaluation of life? And how would you bring that forward? It's interesting because, you know, we've created systems. I was interviewed coming out of college to be part of the secret service. I turned it down to be a football coach thinking that I would spend more time with my family. Little did I know it was about the same. <laughs> and so there's, we have this system 
we walk around, Bob Marley said it, you know, we were playing Bob Marley earlier. Bob Marley said, if you have to lock your door, it's your fault. And what he meant by that was you haven't gone out in your community and cared enough about people that, that they need to come in your house to be okay. When I look at the way we move, especially here in the United States, our police department, as much as people don't, may not want to admit it, was designed to protect those with money, not those without. We have our presidents needing to ride around in armored cars because we've killed our leaders. When it's all said and done, I want to be able to walk on the street and know that I'm still just doing sit. And everybody will care because I care for them. I fortunately have not had the need to own a gun. I've had guns pulled on me and I'm still here. One is I have a connection to something greater that takes care of me all the time. It's important for our youth, especially to begin to see beyond the need of guns so that, I mean, you know, I know Jason, he's a warrior. I'm a warrior. I know Ryan, I know Dr. Lauren and, and many of the women in here back in my day, there was no guns. There was it was mono e mono. Let's you you need to dance with me. We're gonna dance. And if you don't, if you're not that person that's able to dance, then you're gonna find a way to talk yourself out of it. Now we've created this society of run to the gun because your person that person is weak. We can do better by getting us back to being a strong, powerful nation again, where guns don't have to play in the in the in it at all and that starts with making sure to bring forward the evolution that people are powerful and the more that we care for one another the more powerful we'll be together so thank you aaron for that question doc yeah real quick because you were just on my show yesterday yeah right? yeah yesterday and I showed that clip with Morgan Freeman where they went around the world for 60 seconds, National Geographic clip, asking people if they believed world peace was possible. And we talked about it after the show, how surprising it was that so many people said, no, absolutely not. So my question is, you know, as a platform, as a slogan, if you will, um, peace is possible, which came up on the show. Peace is possible. I've been thinking a lot about that since we were on the show together. And I keep asking myself, well, hmm, peace is possible. Is that, is it a pipe dream? Is it a pipe bomb? You know, or is it a peace pipe? <laughs> you know, I mean, because it could go so many places. And when I walk all the way around that, I feel a, 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 a plethora of emotions about all kinds of different things. So I'm just curious, have you even thought about, I know it's just been a day, but have you thought about what that might look like? It, you know, could it hurt you more than it could help? Or does that even matter? Well, first and foremost, 
I find it interesting before I started putting it out that I'm going to stand in peace. Because I actually had a brand person that said, hey, you're too much peace. We can't bring that up as your as your way to move into po- the political world. And when I've disowned peace, the creator put me in my bed for 10 days, <laughs> took my body away. So peace is possible, and it starts with each and every person individually taking it on as a responsibility to bring forward, which means motivating, inspiring others to see it and bring forward the possibility. I know there's someone on here that I've worked with for eight weeks, and in the beginning, I'm not sure that she knew peace was possible in her life. Yet she now has peace in her life, at work, with her family, beginning to get it with her parents, all types of stuff. And it starts with me. It starts with me being that person that's so convicted to stand in it that I'm willing to have the conversation. Most people aren't willing to have the conversation. Then all of a sudden I see Pence say, peace is is the way. Mike Pence, vice president, he said it. Now... And then uh, Marianne Williamson, who ran on that, she said it. Then you have uh, Robert Kennedy has now saying it. If enough people keep saying it, it becomes it. I'm just somebody that's willing to say it every time I talk because peace is possible. Most, the greatest, the highest number of people following religion is Christianity. Well, he was the Prince of Peace. So why aren't we talking about it? He was the Prince of Peace. It's time to elect the king of peace. I'm bringing it. Peace is coming with me. Thank you for that. Jason. Yeah, I got, I, I want to talk a little bit because the, there was a lot of deep thinking when this country was set up. You and I have talked about the Iroquois nation and where, you know, a lot of the information that built what has gone on to build a nation that has created um uh, the the immense flip-flop of of abject poverty um through what's happened in this particular country since you know we say 1776 but really from 1890 and and there's a lot of that deep thinking and conversations deep conversations that happened amongst our founding fathers or founding mothers the people that were at the foundation of building what we now experience a bastardization of in my opinion um, and and one of them is the the Second Amendment, and and why it exists in the first place, and and we get so and there's a lot of things you know because it was really not built for hunting; it was built for a, a, a hedge against a corrupt and tyrannical government. That's why it exists, and and when we forget, so so I use that as an example because there's many of them that I could lay out is that we live in a in a in a world that takes media you know our our media preference and we take those 15 second sound bites or the tiktok or the instagram and we we have become a society that that refuses to de- to think deeply about these issues and understand them and and this comes back to culturally um you know intellect how how would you i guess my question is how would you lead us in a way to to inspire us to become a to become deeper thinkers 
because I know you are. And I, and I know that that the, the only way to, for us to lead is for us to think deeply and actually review both sides of the equation instead of just solidly falling down on, on us getting our way. So what, what do you have in mind to inspire us to think more deeply as a, as a society? For me, there has to be moments like this where people come together and have conversations. And it's okay if we speak in different ways. One thing that, that I've always been taught as a, someone who was raised to be a leader, when I say that from fifth grade on, I was taken away to leadership camps on top of sports camp. Someone who was raised to be a leader, first and foremost, you were taught to listen, to be willing to listen to other people's perspectives take them all in, see how they morph, and now come forward with something that stands in common ground. We can't find common ground if we aren't willing to have a conversation. And I can look at our leadership when we have a president who goes to speak to con to the Supreme Court, to Congress, and the State of the Union, all those things. And we have people yelling. It doesn't matter if that person that person, how that person got there doesn't matter to me. They have been appointed as the leader of the ship. If you take one person canoeing on one side of a boat, the boat just goes in a circle. We're going in a circle, which ultimately looks like a black hole right now. It's time for us to put all oars in the water, move in the same direction, and pause, listen to one another. That that's what I see for that. Like the more we can come together, we listen and we talk without yelling. Like there's a there's just a way of being that is responsible adult behavior. And right now we got a bunch of children running leadership. That doesn't work. It, it it's showing to not work. And it's time for those that have sat on the sidelines to get in the game. You know, strap it up, put the cleats on, strap up the cleats. Polish them up if you must, and then come play in the game. Get in the game, and that that's all of us. I think we're going to end it with that. I really appreciate everybody being here. Thank you, Aaron, for that. what you just said. This is amazing space for growth. Unfortunately, you have to log off, and so are we. Sid McNary, 2028. I appreciate it. It's this is This is something great, and I know it's it's up to all of us. This isn't Sid McNary for president. When you see Sid McNary a long time ago, I said, Sid is just a name that is a logo. And now this is your logo. Pick it up. This is for the people. This is, this is all of us moving this forward for a better country in its entirety. Peace is possible and it's going to happen in our lifetime for sure. Thank you all. Look forward to hearing your voices soon. Have a beautiful 4th of July weekend. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Rise with Sid. We're excited to keep going with you. So when you're ready to make it for you, the commitment to yourself, come check us out at artofpeacefulliving.com. We are excited to continue to rise with you. We rise together. Real impact supports everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Rise with Sid. Peace.